Hello, how's it going everyone? Today we are back with another interview with Angela Cunningham. She is running also for the 6th District Circuit Court Judge position here in Kenosha, Wisconsin. We want to make sure everybody knows everything about all of the candidates. Angela, thank you so much for coming in and spending some time to talk to us. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. So, as we get started here, I, I always want to start off by kind of letting you have a floor. Just kind of give us a, a rundown of who you are, um, your background, not necessarily, you know, too much into your political background right now. We'll get into that, but more of like your personal background growing up and stuff like that. Absolutely. So um, I have my own law firm here in Kenosha, ADC Law Office, where I practice criminal defense and guardian ad litem work. Um, I have a 21-year-old son. Oh, I'm sorry. He's 20. He will be 21 in about two weeks. Oh, wow. Um, and he stays with me. He just graduated from Gateway and is looking to transfer to a four-year next fall. Um, I grew up in western Kenosha County. Um, my mom, my sister, and I moved to Trevor, Wisconsin when I was just 12 years old, and we helped build our first family home through Habitat for Humanity. So that's actually something that um, I have a fond memory of doing. I actually remember being on the roof of our home and hammering in shingles um, at 12 years old. Probably not the safest thing for a kid, but um, here I am how many years later, and that's the one memory that I carry with me with our first home. Um, I attended Wilmot Union High School out in Western Kenosha County, and I was active in high school. I ran track, I played in the band, I was in student council and other student groups. Mm -hmm. After high school, I went away to college and became pregnant with my son after my first year. Um, I came back to Kenosha um, and spent some time trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and I ultimately settled on going back to school at UW-Madison, where I completed my undergraduate degree in social welfare and women's studies and my master's degree in social work. Came back to the Kenosha community and worked in social services for several years. While here, um, I... But right before going to law school, I was the executive director of the ELCA Outreach Center. I don't know if you're familiar with that organization. Mm -hmm. So when I was the executive director, it was actually in the basement of Grace Lutheran Church, mm -hmm. um, where the Grace Welcome Center is now. And while I was there, I worked with a lot of individuals who were low income. Um, several people were homeless or one paycheck away from being homeless. And what I noticed is a lot of the people that I worked with also had legal issues that further compounded their situations. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking criminal legal issues, I'm talking civil, family, you know, their, their paychecks were being garnished, they were facing eviction, things like that. And there weren't very many resources to send them to to get help. Mm -hmm. um, so it was further stabilizing people's lives in our community. And so I decided to go to law school. Um, I ended up going to Northwestern University. At the time, they were um, trying out a two-year accelerated JD program for mm -hmm. career changers, which was a perfect fit because this was a career change for me. And um, once I was accepted, I picked my son up, and he was 10 years old at the time, mm -hmm. and we moved to Chicago so that I could go to law school. And I did come back to Kenosha and went to work at Legal Action of Wisconsin. And there, I represented victims of domestic violence in family law actions. And um, then I went on to the district attorney's office in Milwaukee where I prosecuted crimes of domestic abuse as well as some general, general, general crimes as well. Um, while I was in Milwaukee, I was commuting back and forth and I really missed being involved in the community here in Kenosha. And when you're driving an hour each way, it's kind of hard to stay involved. Um, 
And so I decided that I wanted to start my own practice and work and live in the city of Kenosha. And that's when I started my own law office. Um, even through all of that, through being a single mom, through um, going to school and accomplishing three degrees, I made it a top priority to always stay in my community. I um, currently am on the board of directors of Catholic Charities. I've previously been on the board of directors for um, Hope Council as well as Kenosha Community Health Center. I'm part of several coalitions. Um, I was tutoring before COVID hit. I was tutoring a third grader at Brass Elementary. So, um, and those are just more of the recent things. But even in undergrad and graduate school, I've always made it a priority to be involved in the community. So now I'm running for judge because I want to take my community involvement and my breadth of personal and professional experience to the level of judgeship and to ensure justice for all in our community. Nice. So, um, growing, like, I'm kind of familiar with Trevor. Like, I've gone back and forth, you know. Um, I imagine you being young and black growing up in the area, it may have been a little, I'm not saying difficult, because when you grow up in an area, you kind of, you know, you don't, not to say you don't see color, because things like that at some point actually do kind of occur to you, but... I imagine it probably was kind of different, just not seeing many people probably that look like yourself, you know? Like, one of my best friends growing up lived in Paddock Lake, which is kind of in the area, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, it was it always seemed to be like a thing whenever I went out there. Not necessarily for him, because he grew up in Kenosha and moved out there, um, but for kind of for the people in the area. So I can imagine that could be kind of a different upbringing, but based off of my life experience and kind of dealing with situations like that as well, I can imagine that it kind of allows you to have almost more of a full spectrum outlook on, on a lot of the things. And so I'm glad you brought it back to that point. So I'll, I'll start off with, it, it was definitely, um, I like to say a culture shock because I was 12 mm. and we moved from North Chicago and North Chicago. I don't know if you're familiar with that area, but mm. it's, it's prime, it's large minority population, right? Mm. I don't know the percentages, but definitely much larger minority population than Kenosha. Mm. And so moving to Trever was definitely an adjustment for a 12 year old. Mm. But at the same time, kids are much easier and much much more able to adjust mm -hmm. than I think adults are um, so once I was actually in school and made lots of friends it was it it wasn't a problem mm -hmm. and um, like you said now I think it does allow me to better relate with with different um, people of different backgrounds because of the fact that I was able to grow up um, in a community with people who are of different race of me. And I think that goes a long way with why I've been successful, I think, in my life as well. So, and you said you, as well, you had a son in your first year of college. Um, how was that kind of navigating and, you know, being able to work your way all up to, you know, a master's degree and having your own law firm. I, I imagine there was all sorts of different challenges, probably times where you maybe wanted to give up. How did you keep yourself motivated to get through all of that? So I'm the type of person that when I put my mind to something, I, 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 I go through with it, you know, I, I accomplish it. Um, so no barrier or no, um, Difficulty was enough to, to make me give up and not want to do it. Um, 
but it was hard. I'm not even going to downplay that it wasn't hard. Um, I'm thankful for my family who've been very supportive. Even when they didn't have a whole lot to give for support, they still did what they could. Um, from my mom, who when I came up with crazy ideas like, mom, I'm about to go to law school and, you know, give up this job so I can go to law school full time. And then she said, well, what can I do to help? And and, and she'd keep my son for a few weeks while I got settled in, in Chicago um, to my sister as well, who provided similar assistance. And my dad, who, you know, anytime I pick up the phone, he's providing assistance whenever I need it. Um, but, I, you know, I, I depended on public assistance at some point. I lived in public housing when I was a student at UW-Madison. Um, I, I was on food share. Um, I received child care assistance. So um, when I say that it was a rough road, it was a rough road. But I had my goal in mind, and whatever obstacle came my way, I just fought through it. And I'm thankful that I have a son who is so adaptive to any situation because my poor child, he came with me through UW-Madison, um, then we came back to Kenosha, and then when we went to law school and, you know, lived in Chicago for a couple years, and he, no matter what, he's, he's kind of like me, no matter what setting he's in, he's going to adapt, and he's very personable, and it, it, it just all worked out. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's great to hear, too, now he's, you know, being, he's adaptable as well, like yourself, which, you know, maybe be, maybe a trait that you pass down to him. Um, and to see him, you know, at the, at the age about to be 21, you know, figuring stuff out for himself. And I, I imagine that's probably my daughter's, my oldest is only going to be seven. So I, I think about it, about like her being at that age, but having a child at that age and like f becoming an adult and leaving the nest at a certain, you know, to a certain extent and, you know, having to allow them to do things on their own is probably, uh, growing pains. <laughs> yes. Yes. We, my son and I navigate that every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, let's, let's talk about, um, your vision for, um, for the position, right? Um, a lot of people kind of a lot of people honestly don't necessarily really know what a circuit court judge does, right? Right. Um, you know, you would be handling all different sorts of stuff. So like the family stuff, um, you know, civil civil cases, all, all different types of stuff. And you kind of get thrown in the ring um, in a, on a case-by-case -case scenario. So what do you feel like you'll be able to bring to the position that... Um, you know, isn't there already? Uh, I mean, of course, we could talk about the obvious thing. You would, it, if you are elected, it will be a groundbreaking historical event. Um, right. I believe the first African American in the position at all, first African American and African American woman. So you get to check two boxes with that, which, which is, you know, that's cool. You know, but what, um, what do you want to bring? Like, what perspective do you think you can bring? to the position um, that the community, you know, desperately needs. Absolutely. So I think the criminal justice system and race in the criminal justice system is very, it's a complicated topic and it's a sensitive topic for a lot of people, right? Um, but I think it's a topic that needs to be addressed. Um, the um, 
what was the word I'm trying to say, the um, inequities that exist in our criminal justice system. And I think there needs to be um, a real examination of what's going on so that we can have a baseline understanding, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I would like to see our courts take that step to do that examination, like kind of kind of, you know, shine a mirror on itself or look at itself in the mirror and say, okay, this is what's going on. Not with any sort of judgment, but just just facts of what's going on so that we can at least start with that um, and, and share with the community. I think my background before I went into law school um, and even before I was at the EOCA Outreach Center, I worked with the Department of Human Services um, examining or evaluating their programs and services. Mm-hmm. So I have a background in, in evaluation. And so I would bring that to the bench to see what we can do to try to evaluate one, um, get a baseline number of what the, whether or not there's a disparate treatment of people based on race, based on income, based on a number of different factors. Mm. Um, And then once we have that basic data, depending on what it says, and I'm not, I wouldn't even make a guess of what will come out of it, um, start to say, well, what can we do to start to improve our courts? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one huge thing that I would bring to the bench because I am an outcome-oriented person, mm-hmm. um, and that could help with the efficiency of the courts as well as, I think, the transparency and letting the community know, like, look, this is what we found is going on, and this is what we're going to try to do to address it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um because there is, there's, I mean, you hear all of the time, right? People love statistics, right? Re- regardless of what side of the aisle or if you're not, not even on a side of an aisle, people always like to throw statistics at people, right? Mm-hmm. They tell crime statistics, whatever types of statistics, right? Um, but with those, we always seem to see that they're, when it comes to incarceration or even when it comes to... You could even say family court and judgments with, um, you know, certain individuals that end up getting children. There seems to be, um, it always seems to be in the favor of one group in a way, right? So people, for just an example, and I, I hate always having to bring race into it, but this is a big statistic that people always talk about. You know, the incarceration rate, especially in Wisconsin, when it comes to African Americans, right? Um, it seems if you looking by looking at the numbers, it seems disproportionate, right? Like clearly based off of the population of African-Americans within the city, state, or the entire nation and the amount that they're incarcerated or the rate that they're incarcerated. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I feel like it does need to be looked at in a way where, because it, it just seems like there's how does this happen this way, right? Um, but without any kind of peer review or people coming in to investigate exactly what's going on, um, there's what can you do about it, right? But then also I feel like it could potentially also just be people's life experiences, right? Dealing with certain people, not necessarily knowing how other people are if you don't necessarily you know, deal with those types of people. So it's good to hear you know, someone that has a background that is kind of, you've dabbled in all different types of cultures in a way. You lived, you know, uh, in North Chicago, you lived in Trever, you lived in Kenosha, you've worked in, you know, you've worked in Milwaukee, you've 
went to school in, in Chicago and uh, Evanston, the Evanston area, oh, right? Oh, no, the law school's in Chicago. Oh, it's in Chicago? Yeah. Okay, It's right. in the heart of Chicago. Oh, okay, so, like, we're, okay, so. Yeah. right So, Chicago. yeah, so, yes. so, I mean, and Chicago in itself is a nice big melting pot of a bunch of different cultures as well. Um, so that experience just, you know, it, it can help, in my opinion, just because, there are so many people that feel like the courts aren't necessarily in their favor. And then going, even going into um, like family stuff, right? A big thing, especially in Wisconsin, people seem to just have the, the, the perception that it is a woman's state, right? When it comes to custody or placement or whatever it may be with, with children. Um, I know you're a single mother. I don't want to get into like the details of, you know, your, your personal, it's none, it's no one's business. Um, but going through that, I imagine, you know, you've dealt with things on your own, but I imagine you've also seen other people navigate relationships, but then you also come from a household where you were able to, it seems like you were able to make it out of an area, move into a better area, you know, build a home, you have your mother, your father there, your siblings, and growing with a unit that's all connected. So it's not like it, I would, and this is just my opinion, it, I would assume that you wouldn't just necessarily look at, say, a male or a female in a situation and say the female is necessarily going to be better. I may be wrong, but having both parents in your household, you so I want to clarify, I didn't have both. It was just my mom, my sister, and I. That oh, okay. House. So okay. my dad has always been a part of my life, mm. always been actively involved, but my parents, they separated when I was okay. very, very young. So, okay. yeah. So coming from a split family household, mm. I do know that dads can be wonderful parts of their children's lives, even though they're not with their mom. Okay. So, um, and I take that with me as a guardian ad litem, understanding that. Mm. Um, and I'll definitely take that to the bench. Nice, nice. Um, so I know that, um, that this position is something that you, it seems like you've been kind of, you know, training for, for a while, not necessarily have planning, I, I suppose I would say, but you know, you're just, your life experience, what you've kind of stumbled into working with social work, being involved in the community, it kind of just seems to be a fit, right? I imagine you calculated that yourself before you decided to run, um, so with that, um, what was it that made you kind of like finally say, hey, I think this is what I want to do. I think I want to run for judge. Did you just notice that the position was open or did you hear like chatters of other candidates? Like what was it that made you say, all right, you know what? I think this is the time to go and run. So you're right. It's something I thought about for a few years when I was at the Milwaukee District Attorney's Office. Um, it was something I thought about a lot, and I spoke to several people um, about being a judge, what it meant. I did a lot of research about what it takes. Um, I, I connected with some mentors, and, um, and I wasn't sure if it was the route that I wanted to go, right? Um, but it was definitely something that was on my radar. And a lot of people you know, would say to me, I think you would make a wonderful judge. You should consider you know, running for judge someday. Mm -hmm. And um, when I started my own practice and I was here working, I don't, I, I don't know if you're aware, a couple of people know, I'm sure a lot of people know that I previously ran for Congress. Mm -hmm. um, and 
after I suspended that race, I wasn't sure what direction I was going to go next, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I heard that Judge Wagner was retiring um, and that that was going to be an open seat, mm -hmm. um, I went back and spoke to my mentors, spoke to my family, um, and said, if, if there's ever a time, this is it, right? Because it's not very often that seats become open in Kenosha. And um, that's when I just, I, I decided that if I'm going to do it, if not now, then when? Mm. Yeah, because yeah, you're right about the seats. I believe, uh, so Judge Wagner was, she, I mean, she was the judge for a very, very long time. Yes. Uh, I was adopted by my grandmother, and she was the one that actually handled that. And I'm oh, 32 yeah. years old. So. And you were adopted as a baby? Yes, when I was oh. eight weeks old or so. So, yeah. So you have a special place in your heart for Judge Wagner, huh? Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I honestly... And I, I haven't said this, but I mean, technically, if it wasn't for her, I'd probably be a completely different person. Who knows where I would be? You know, I could have been randomly adopted by a random family. Maybe things would have worked out. Maybe I would have went up and down through the foster care system, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, my grandma, she really wanted to keep uh, me and my brothers together. So, you know, she was retired at the time and she just, you know, hungered down. And, you know, the judge, you know, thankfully, you know, thought that she would be a good fit. That's amazing. Yeah. Judge Wagner is going to be huge shoes to fill, right? <laughs> she's, see, she's not just amazing on the bench, but she's also somebody who's very involved in her community. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, I appreciate that she's somebody who's involved in her community. And so that's definitely, I think, a judgeship that I, I look to emulate um, as I go forward to hopefully get on the bench this spring or in the I guess in the summer when I would officially take the office nice. if I win when I win <laughs> so um you you mentioned briefly that you um you did run for congress um uh, you suspended the campaign I was in August I believe right in April in April okay yeah shortly so, after the coronavirus everything was shut down because of the coronavirus yeah I can imagine that would make things um very, very difficult, especially in the beginning of it where everybody's kind of panicking and not knowing how you're going to move forward and trying to figure out new ways to, you know, innovate and keep doing and pressing on. So, um, so uh, with that, you were, were you affiliated with a party when you were running? Did you? I did run, um, I did run as a Democrat when I was in Congress. Mm -hmm. Um, the judicial position is nonpartisan. Mm -hmm. um, I currently am not a member of any party, mm -hmm. and I take the nonpartisanship very seriously. Yeah, um, and with that, I mean, I don't think it's a problem having any kind of affiliation. You know, everybody has beliefs at the end of the day, and I feel like having a, an affiliation kind of just lets people know, like, hey, I'm honest, I'm not going to hide how I feel about stuff. So I wouldn't necessarily, I'm, I'm not looking at that negatively. I'm, hopefully no one else does. Um, because at the end of the day, like you said, it's a nonpartisan position. Mm -hmm. And as long as people understand that's the role that they're filling. And honestly, a judge, a judge's role kind of seems to be nonpartisan by default anyways, because it's not like you know, I mean, I imagine some high-profile cases could be, I, I suppose, like stuff that you see on the news, but everyday circuit court type stuff, I don't see how 
that could really be a conflict of interest. Um, yeah, politics don't come into the courtroom. The right. courtroom is about the facts and the law. Mm. Perfect. Point blank. Right. Yeah. So, um, what would you what would you say though to say anybody that would try to twist that or anything like that? You know. Um, I would just let people know that my that my role as a judge is to address the litigants before me, mm-hmm. um, use the facts that are provided, and to apply those facts to the law to make a ruling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a judge's role to get political from the bench. Right. It's not the judge's role to um, to advance an agenda. Mm-hmm. It's a judge's role to ensure justice, um, to follow the Constitution, to follow the law. And so if anybody, that's that's my response as a judge. When I'm on that bench, it's not about my personal views. Um, it's about ensuring that the, the law is, is followed and following the Constitution. And as an attorney, I imagine you have experience doing that already because... Again, you're in the courtroom, you're handling a case, it's a case-by-case situation, and it's each case, I imagine, is not political, you know? And, so. and even, even you, know, um, you know, I was previously a prosecutor, and as a prosecutor, you are reviewing a case and making a decision about whether or not to charge it, whether or not you can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have experience with making, with making decisions based on law mm-hmm. and not on personal feelings or ideals perfect so what um where do you see things kind of going in the community i kind of want to take that angle a little bit just because i mean it's been a pretty i mean over the past year or so it's been pretty volatile a lot of people are out you know letting their voices be heard about a lot of stuff which is you know it's everyone's right i feel like everybody needs to do that especially if they want necessary change to come in Uh um what what would you like to see as like a response from the community when it comes to elections like this right um that's why i wanted to bring you in and i wanted to bring in the candidates because a lot of elections go on and people aren't involved in them right um we get a lot of people out and get them riled up you know for the big elections for like you know presidents and stuff like that um but Elections like this is where you can actually make a lot of change, right? By having the necessary people in play um, that are going to be fair, that are mm-hmm. honestly going to use their life experiences to, you know, interpret the law in a fair way, in an objective way, um, but in a way that they see is, you know, good for the, for the public. Um, so how do you see, or how has how the community's response been to you? thus far, I guess I should say. Oh, the community's response has been absolutely overwhelming. Um, I'm humbled by the support that I've gotten so far. I think it's clear that Kenosha wants to see a change. And um, I hope this momentum keeps going, not just for this judicial race, but for all, like you said, for all local elections, all the way up to state elections, because the reality is, is local and state officials have a much more immediate impact on our day-to-day lives than than the federal elections. And I'm not saying they're not important. I do not want to downplay that by one bit, especially with everything that's been going on, right? Federal elections are very important. Um, But when it comes to 
your day-to-day experiences. Um, the people who are sitting on the city common council, the people who are on the county board of directors, um, the people who are in the state legislature are making laws that, that we as community members um, uh, are impacted by much more readily and much more often than what happens um, at the White House and at the state capitol. I'm sorry, at the U.S. capitol. And hopefully not ever at the state capitol. Right? <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, let's just keep it going a little bit here with, um, with everything with that going on and, of course, wanting to pinpoint, you know, what we can do to raise awareness here locally with these elections here. Um, what would you say to, what would you say to individuals that want to be involved a little bit more, right? So you have, you have experience now with this, uh, campaign, you had a previous campaign and then also just being a community member, helping out, uh, and, you know, getting involved with different organizations and, and things like that, being, sitting on boards, helping make decisions. Um, what kind of advice I, I suppose I would ask would you give to someone um, just general advice to someone that wants to get involved help out the community in uh, you know in any capacity so my first one is just show up just show up when you hear about a meeting or an organization or something that's going on that's of interest mm. just show up because you show up and start talking to people that's how you start making those connections um, and getting involved in things um, you know, I'm one of those people that if there's something that I want to see happen, I'm going to see who's addressing it and find out what they're doing and reach out to them. Um, so I say that would be the first step. I think also, and I see, we're seeing this now more over the last year, um, a lot of the organizations and community leaders, also them reaching out to people and saying, get involved, you know, um, even myself, I'm guilty of this, um, trying to be a little bit more cognizant, especially of younger individuals who have a whole lot of energy and just needs, and needs, that needs to be steered somewhere. Mm. Um, I think for the leaders in our community, recognizing those individuals and reaching out to them and, and offering mentoring and guidance as well. Um, but for somebody who wants to get involved and they feel like they don't know how to get involved, Facebook is wonderful because you can see events that are happening and just show up. You don't wait to be invited. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I say too. Like just, <laughs> people always ask me like, I want to do what you do. And I'm just like, just, just start, you know, just get a camera or, you know, just yeah. go out there or start asking people questions. Just starting is the first part. And then you can kind of figure it out as you kind of go along, you know, start asking other people questions and kind of just build it as you go along. Exactly. I mean, you show up, usually when you show up to a, a an event or a meeting, you can kind of tell who the people are in charge. Go up to them and talk to them, mm -hmm. you know. Um, in my experience, most people who are organizers and leaders are very approachable. And so, you know, go talk to them. And, and you know, if you see me around, come talk to me um, and say, can, can we get together for coffee? You know, and I'm very open to that and have done it plenty of times with people. So that's just go, go show up and talk to people. So uh, your experience, you know, being a prosecutor, um, having a firm, how, per, how do you feel things kind of are in the area? 
you know, did, are you ever discouraged by some of the things that you see? Um, are you, do you think it's, you know, things generally are, are fair or do you feel like there's like a, there is a big push for change that we really need? Oh gosh, that's a big question. Um, so Brian Stevenson, are you familiar with Brian Stevenson? I am he not. wrote he wrote Just Mercy. He Okay, yeah, all right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's a movie yeah, about I, him. I saw the movie. Right? Yeah, yeah, I saw okay. The movie. <laughs> um, so he says the opposite of poverty is justice. That's a quote that he uses. Mm. Um, and kind of what he means by that is that poverty is a huge barrier to people getting justice, mm. right? If you can afford a lawyer, um, if you can afford a law firm with all of the resources that come with large law firms, mm. your, um, your chances of having a better outcome than someone who can't afford to hire a fancy lawyer with the, the big law firm with all of the resources that come with the law firm mm. are much higher. And so I think when you're in a system where that's the, where that's the case, mm. there, there's a lot that could be done to fix that. Mm. Well, um, how do you feel about the flow of information, right? Because that seems to be um, an issue a lot of people have, right? They end up in a situation that they've never been in before. They end up in court for whatever it may be, family court or, um, you know, catch a case or something, whatever, whatever it may be. But they have no experience and no funds. Um, and they're kind of just thrown in there yeah. with, you know, with, um, with no idea how to move forward. Um, are there channels for people that with without income to, I mean, have access to even, I suppose, law books, even though I suppose that it's kind of redundant because they're written in legalese. So. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't recommend anybody who didn't go to law school to pick up a law book. They're, they're, they're not the easiest thing to digest. Mm -hmm. um, there's not a lot. Remember, that's the reason why I went to law school, because I was working with people who had legal problems and there wasn't anywhere for them to go. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if somebody catches a criminal case, then they are entitled to have, they're required, the law says they have to have a lawyer. Mm. So if they can't afford to hire one, the public defender's office will appoint. Um, outside of that, you're not guaranteed a lawyer in court. Mm. Um, and there are some resources around, so like Legal Action, where I was working at for a few years, they do represent people who are, um, they have a certain income limit. They have to be below a certain income level. And um, there's only certain types of cases they're able to handle, right? Because there's only so much money to go around to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. So there's a much greater need than what legal action can meet. Um, the ELCA Outreach Center, uh, I don't know what's happening now in the time of COVID, mm -hmm. but I do know that pre-COVID, they had the, pre, the Free Legal Advice Center. Mm -hmm. So you could, if you had a legal issue that wasn't criminal, so anything that's not criminal, same thing with legal action. Legal action doesn't do criminal. Mm -hmm. Um, you could sit down and talk with the lawyer for about 20 or 30 minutes to at least point you in the right direction, let you know what your rights are. Because for a lot of people who um, are going to court on their own, and we call that pro se, mm. for a lot of people who are pro se, um, they have no idea, you know, they, they don't know what the law says. And for some people, when you actually explain to them what the law is, they're shocked. You know, mm. um, since I've been in my own practice, there's been a lot of people that I would do just on my own, like the 20 or 30 minute sessions to sit down with them when they have a legal 
case and can't afford a lawyer. So I'll sit down and say, look, this is how you need to do this. This is what's allowable, what's not. This is what the law says. Um, and so I think the biggest thing is for people, even if they can't have a lawyer, is that they really need to at least get that 20, 30 minutes so that they can understand what their rights are, mm-hmm. what the law says, what the law doesn't say. Um, I think that's the biggest hurdle for pro se litigants. Mm-hmm. Just with your experience, do you think there's anything that could be done about the disparities between low-income people dealing with the courts and people with, I mean, I don't want to say vast amounts of wealth, but that can afford, you know, to hire a legal team to represent them? Mm-hmm. I I think there there is. I always say that there is. There's always that something that can be done. Mm-hmm. What that is and what that'll look like, I can't say for sure, but I think if we get our community together and make it a priority to address it, mm. um, and that's the key word, is make it a priority to address it. And when you get some great minds together and say we're not going to settle for the differences in outcomes based on people's financial status mm. uh, or socioeconomic status, then you know you can move mountains with that. But I think it's just people getting to a point of saying enough is enough. But what that change would look like, I can't say, right? Mm-hmm. I did, they're, they're, I'm yeah. not just going to throw something yeah, out there no, and say, the, this is what we should yeah, do. The only thing it. that I realistically <laughs> and unfortunately that I could think of would be robots. But also, Robots? Yeah. Ro- Ex- explain. Auto- automated lawyers. I didn't want to <laughs> say it because I don't want to like get rid of anyone's job. But that's the only... <laughs> just because if it just, you know, if it was automated everyone could have the same access right because but then again though we live in america and it's the whole free market thing right and capitalism yeah so you want people to be able to charge different rates say if they're really good they have you know yeah. you want to you want to earn what you went to school for and what you worked hard for but then also when it comes to things being fair for people that don't have access mm-hmm. it seems like unfortunately that might be the only trade-off unless, I don't know, I don't know. That's just the first thing that came along. <laughs> I, will, I will put that one in my hat and see, you know, and, and down the line. <laughs> yeah, maybe 2050 or something like that. But um, so with, with everything that's going on, you know, with the election, how do you feel, um, how do you th- feel things are going? You said you had, you're getting a good response from everyone. Um, a lot of people are reaching out and stuff like that. Um, I, you, I believe you, when you sent in your signatures, you had over like 400 signatures or so. Oh, yeah. So it yep. seems like there, there seems to be some momentum behind everything that you're doing. Um, say you get, say you get elected and you're in office, I believe it would be August. You would start right? August you, 1st, August. I believe. Yeah. So, um, what would be the first thing you would want to tackle when you get in there? The first thing I would want to tackle, I think at the top of my to-do list um, is I really do want to do some sort of evaluation on, on how the courts, the outcomes that the courts are having, right, on, on, um, throughout the court system right if they and bring maybe I don't 
I don't know what it would look like because doing evaluation is not a small feat. So mm. I don't want to act like it's something that I could get done like in the first 30 days. Mm. It would take, a, it would be a huge undertaking. Mm. But I would like to see some sort of evaluation um, so that we can get some baseline information about whether or not there is, um, you know, there's this perception of different outcomes and treatment in the court system based on race and socioeconomic status. I would love to have an evaluation done just so that we can get some hard and fast numbers about that. Do you feel like there would be any pushback to that at all? Um, potentially. Um, like I said, it would be a huge undertaking, so I'm not going to pretend like that's something that I can just say, well, I'm a judge now, so let's make this happen. Right. Um, I think it will take some resources and some time, and um, I'm not naive about that at all. Okay. Perfect. So um, with that, and we're going to end up wrapping here in a little bit in the next 10 minutes or so, but um, I'm excited at the fact that people seem to be more and more engaged, you know? I'm excited at the fact that we're seeing people from all different walks of life. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see, as of right now, three women on the ballot, right? Which is... As of right now, that's it. It's too late for anybody else to right, get right, on this. Right, right, so, yeah. you know, so there so will be a we'll, woman on branch right, six. Right, <laughs> so we have three women on the ballot, which you know, which is yeah. nice. It's it's a sign of the times. Yes, you are taking the place of a woman, but it's it's good to see that she's she's not leaving to be replaced by another man per se. Not saying that it's it would be bad if it was a man, but it's good to see that you know we're seeing women actually stepping up to you know take the plate. Um, how's your experience been just like politically, you know, as a woman, um, dealing with running for Congress before your campaign now? I mean, it, it seems like people are really, really receptive to it. Right. But of course, there's always those little things that might happen behind the scenes, messages that people might send you. How, how's that? Um, running for office is not easy. I'm, I'm not even going to pretend like it is, right? Um, you are taking the chance of putting your life in the public sphere um, for everybody to look at and critique. Um, and people you don't even know to look at and critique and make up their mind about who you are as a person, even though they've never sat down and had one conversation with you. Yeah, I know and I think, about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I think... Just for women, that's much harder for us to do, which is my personal um, my personal opinion. That's why you don't see a whole lot of women step up to run for office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it comes down to you got to have a personal conviction that that's what you want to do um, and know who you are as a person um, so that you can learn to ignore the, defector, the, the deflectors and the people who are um, being naysayers. Um, I think another hard part about running for office is you learn that sometimes people in your circle who you thought would be supportive of you Mm. aren't, right? And I think that was the hardest part when I did my congressional campaign. Mm. And I learned from that. And then, you know, now running for judge, I'm like, I'll just leave you alone. Mm. When I'm on the bench, then you can come and and decide that you want to get behind me. Um, But I think that was, that's a hard part too. Um, And then just the amount of time and resources that it takes. It takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> People randomly ask me to run for stuff. And I'm like, I do not have time to do any of that. And it's like, you have to be fully committed, right? Yeah. And that's that's what's great to see from 
just everyone that I see that are starting to step up and to run, um, they're fully committed. They have their blinders on to a certain extent where it's just like, this is the end game. This is the goal. This is what we're working on. If you're not with us, then you're not with us. We would love for you to be there. But I mean, like you said, I guess holler at me when I'm on the bench. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So uh, with the last few minutes here, I want to just give you the floor. I want to make sure you touch on anything that you wanted to, to bring up in the interview here with everybody watching. Um, I think the biggest thing is we have a spring primary February 16th. If you got to vote, right? Um, it doesn't go far enough to say, oh, I really like that person. That's the person I want to see on the bench. And then you don't cast the ballot. Um, spring elections are notoriously low voter turnout. So I would love to see Kenosha break records by coming out and voting um, to get the first black woman judge on the bench. Um, make that happen. A lot of people are registered to vote right now because of that presidential election. Mm-hmm. So that step is already done. So now you just got to show up again on February 14th. Um, people can request absentee ballots, um, which in the time of COVID and unpredictability, I think is probably the best way to vote right now, mm-hmm. right? Um, because you never know. You never know when you will have to be quarantined and what if you have to be quarantined on election day, right? Mm -hmm. So get that ballot so that you can just fill it out and put it back in the mail and then you don't have anything to worry about. Um, People can also early vote. Early voting starts two weeks before election day. Mm -hmm. So there are several different ways that people can go vote. Um, And I just would love to see the momentum that we saw with the presidential election carry on into this spring election. I want to invite people. You can learn more about me and my background and kind of what I would like to bring to the bench on my website at voteforcunningham.com. Um, also, you know, in the time of COVID, I'm not able to go out and meet people the way that I normally would um, during campaign season. So I'm really using a lot of social media. So I've asked people to go to my social media pages. I'm on Facebook, um, Vote for Cunningham, like my page share my posts. Um, If you support me, let everybody in your timeline know, right? Because that's the best way to spread the word right now. Um, And then I'm also on Twitter. Um, My handle is vote the number four Cunningham. So again, follow me on Twitter, retweet my tweets. Um, I say everybody go tell five more people um, about my campaign and get them to come out to the polls and vote. Perfect. And then with the virtual thing going on, are you going to have any kind of like events or anything coming up in the future for people for more information or Q&As, anything like that? So again, you can learn more about any upcoming events by okay. liking my Facebook page. Um, if you're, and obviously if they're watching us, they're on Facebook. Right. Um, but like my Facebook page uh, to see upcoming events, I am doing uh, meet and greets. Um, so if anybody is interested in hosting a meet and greet with their friends, family members, or coworkers, mm-hmm. they can reach out to our campaign. Um, they can sign up on the website to host a meet and greet. They can shoot an email to info at voteforcunningham.com, say they're interested in doing a meet and greet. We are doing those virtually right now um, because obviously safety first. Right. Um, But it is an opportunity for people to hear my story and also ask questions um, in a more intimate setting. So I definitely welcome people, especially if you're a strong supporter and want to get your friends and family members and coworkers on board, host a meet and greet so that they can get a chance to speak with me as well. Perfect. 
Well, Angela Cunningham, I thank you so much for taking some time out to come talk to me. Everybody out there, please make sure you stop by our website, voteforcunningham.com. Like the Facebook page, Vote for Cunningham. Uh, and then also follow her on, tw on Twitter and retweet her tweets. Don't just follow, <laughs> you have to retweet the tweets as well. At vote the number four Cunningham on Twitter as well. So thank you so much for taking out some time to talk to me again. I definitely appreciate it. I wish you all the luck with the campaign. Thank you. I'm sure you'll do good. I see you have a lot of momentum going on. So um, if what, however the chips may fall, just know that uh, I'm always here with a platform for anybody out there. So if in the future you need to get anything out, just let me know and I'll definitely help you out. Absolutely. Thank you so much. No problem at all. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in. This has been this has been another exciting interview with another candidate for the Sixth Branch Circuit Court Judge position. Uh, make sure you all get out there and vote in the primary. It's I believe it's February 14th or 16th. 16th. February 16th. Make sure you register for early voting if you want to vote early. Uh, get your absentee ballot if you're afraid something may happen where you won't be able to get out there or you know you won't be able to get out there, but you still want to vote. Uh, do what you have to do to make sure you're prepared, but make sure you do what you need to do. Anyways, I've been Corey Elijah. Thank you so much for tuning in. And make sure you like the page here as well. Uh, and we will be back with another one soon.